History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it, it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25 year old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Alicia Rita White. She's the founder of Equipped for Grace, a great organisation that does a lot of consultancy and training in the areas of child protection, domestic violence, homelessness. Uh, mental health battles. She's a great woman of God with a great story. We're going to hear a bit of her story today. Welcome along, Alicia. Tell us a bit of your your background. Where were you born and raised? Hi, Matt. It's uh, really great to be here, so thank you. Um, So, yes, I actually grew up on the Sunshine Coast, the beautiful Sunshine Coast. Um, Went to school there and then left at the ripe old age of 17 to chase my dancing dreams all the way down to Adelaide, actually. (laughs) Okay, there you go. So you you had... uh, a lot of time in, you know, beautiful Queensland, Sunshine Coast. W- was it like a religious upbringing at all? No. Um, my folks um, didn't go to church or anything along those lines. I actually ended up going to what was called then um, Outreach College on the Sunshine Coast for my later high school years, and that's where I found all that, all about God, um, you know, all about Jesus and his love for us. But at school, I did not want a bar of it, to be honest, and I actually um, spent the next couple of years, um, as I said, like um, leaving home, moving to Adelaide, and it wasn't until about age 19 that I decided that I'd like to go to church and just figured that there was more to life than what I was doing in Adelaide, which was working in finance. I was doing a lot of dancing and performing down there as well, so there was a lot of glitz and glamour and a lot of money, but um, not a lot of joy and hope that I could find in that space. And so, yeah, one day I just prayed to God and said, you know, God, I do believe that you're real, um, but, you know, please show yourself to me. And lo and behold, a girl who lived um, three doors down for me, I met her and she invited me to church the very next day, which was amazing. (laughs) Wow. So what was your first church experience like? So my first church service was actually at school, um, at um, our Pentecostal school, and so it was very free. It was all about your relationship with God. But as I said, at that point in time, I didn't particularly want a lot to do with it. And so when I was 19, I went to a very similar church, so it felt familiar. It felt really the same. And I just had such a wonderful time getting back into that family that family church environment. When you went back to church at 19, did you come to Christ straight away or did you check it out for a while? No, I actually was challenged to come to church for four weeks um, by one of the girls that I met there, just see if I liked it. But to be honest, it took me a good nine months or so to really figure out if this was the life I wanted to lead. And that was such a difficult nine months, to be honest, because it was sort of like having a foot in both camps. And we know that that's such a, uh, that's not a great place to be. So I tried partying and going to church all at the one time and Yeah, it wasn't until I went to a mission trip in South Africa, actually, that I was surrounded by people of God, surrounded by these amazing kids in this orphanage over there. And it was those two weeks in South Africa that I decided, you know what, this is the kind of person that I want to be. This is the life that I want to live because these people have something that I just can't find anywhere else. And that's where I decided, yep, I was going to live my life totally for God. And tell us a bit about your 
career in that stage? What, what were you doing for work and how did it develop into what you're doing now? Yes. Yeah, so at that point in time, I was actually working for a finance firm. And as I said, it was all about sort of the money and the glitz and the glamour, but I was not finding a lot of um, hope in that place. And so decided to move back to Queensland and decided to study um, a criminology degree. Spent a couple of years doing that criminology degree and just found such fulfillment in that space, making sure that I was helping people who essentially deserved a second chance in the world. So I went to university for a couple of years and then my first job out of university was as a probation and parole officer up at Noosa, actually, and then moved very quickly um, down to another place in Queensland um, called Caboolture, which is, uh, you know, quite a difficult place to grow up for some people. Um, lots of intergenerational trauma there and, and people going through prison. So it really opened my eyes very quickly to a different way um, that people live their lives and I just wanted to so be involved and so help and yeah that's essentially where I started in in my career um, within the criminal justice system. I've been in that place for about 13-14 years now and have done loads of different things as I said a probation and parole officer for a number of years. I then moved into developing policy and legislation for Queensland Corrective Services and then moved across to youth justice and did a similar type of, of position within our youth detention centres. Well, let's just backtrack a bit. You know, working in prisons is a whole different world. I've uh, had the privilege of visiting uh, a number of prisons over the years and, you know, as a pastor, visiting people and, um, you know, ministering to people in, in prisons. And I remember when I was first, I think I was 30. 32 years old, my first ever time visiting a prison, uh, visiting a yeah. young guy from our church that had, had, had been locked up for a while. And I was just absolutely freaked out, you know. Yeah. I remember I was, I was waiting in line uh, and they were doing all these security checks and they'd search you and they'd do, you know. And I was standing next to a lady who was married to Brendan Abbott, the postcard oh, bandit. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and and she's telling me all these stories about what's happened in prison over the years, and and and, <laughs> and I was my eyes were popping out of my head, thinking, "This is it. They're going to get me. You know, I'm going <laughs> to. It's going to be a riot. You know, you know. But yeah. <laughs> but you know, going in there and and then meeting a young guy uh, and talking to him, and he said, you know, after morning tea, he said he's learnt ten more ways to break the law, because that's all they <laughs> all they do is they talk about how bad they are and what, what they're going to do when they get out and what, you know, it was just this culture there um, that really uh, was very, very heavy, you know. So I'm curious for you, Alicia, as a, as a Christian working in that environment, what, what was it like for you? Did you get a chance to, to shine your light in, in your role? Um, yes, that what you're referring to, Matt, is actually called the Schools of Crime Theory, where people actually go to prison to learn how to actually commit further crimes. Um, and it's one of the things that, you know, uh, we work really hard when whenever you're working with somebody who's involved in the criminal justice system, working really hard to promote and to demonstrate some really good pro-social attitudes and behaviours. So whilst I didn't speak of Christ within my particular role, um, I actually you know, would demonstrate all of these really great morals and ethics and try to encourage them to be the person that they were absolutely made to be. And some of that started from some of the really practical things where, you know, guys didn't know how to have a really decent breakfast and, you know, get up early and maybe go for a walk and get into the fresh air and things like that because they'd been brought up in such a different way mm. that I had 
you know, those simple things that help you feel just that little bit better about yourself to the other extreme where you're really encouraging people to, you know, get help with a psychologist or a psychiatrist yeah. for, you know, deep ingrained issues that they may have experienced. So, mm. and getting um, across and over that trauma. And one of the things that I really took into that place is some of these people have always been told off their whole lives. They were, you know, they may have been the naughty kid at home and the naughty kid at school and then in trouble by police. And I always took that perspective that, you know, me telling them off or me saying anything else to sort of, you know, degrade them even further is just not going to help. So I always came from a position of trying to to be hope and to be love and to be encouragement and to be light within that place without actually saying the words of Jesus yeah. or the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, good on you for uh, sharing yeah. a bit of that. And, you know, I, I heard you speak recently at a seminar that you did with our church leaders and uh, you, you covered topics like domestic violence, homelessness, uh, suicide awareness, you know, mental health battles, all those things. And it was so important for us in the church to have some training and equipping on these areas. And I know that that's something that you're very passionate about and that's something that you're starting to do a lot more of. I was actually really blessed to hear a bit of your testimony of what you had been through in your first marriage as well. Uh, do you just want to share a bit of your experience, uh, particularly with the, the aspect of domestic violence? Yes, absolutely. So I actually started Equipped for Grace because I saw the need for people, you know, my friends, my pastors, my colleagues within the church space to have the type of information and training that I had had working within the criminal justice and so how do you identify that things might not be right? What do you do? What do you say? What do you definitely not say? And then how do you refer them on? Because I've seen people, you know, really burning out or shying away from having some of these difficult conversations around domestic violence or around drugs and alcohol or homelessness. And so really trying to provide some really easy resources and training that would, you know, shine a light on how we can effectively help people going through some of these tough issues. And it was actually, um, so whilst I come from a background of research and working in my career within this place, I also, um, as you said, I, I've had um, one marriage before, the one that I'm in now. Um, so in my first marriage, my ex-husband would go to church, he would sing on stage, he would worship God, but behind closed doors was a very different person an alcoholic, there was domestic violence within the relationship. And so I was able to really rely on my church family within that space. And there was no condemnation and no shame, which really comes with domestic violence and being a victim of domestic violence. And so they just really, yeah, provided so much love and care when I was going through that. But unfortunately, at the same time, they were providing some advice to me, which I knew was actually quite risky and quite harmful. And so that's essentially where I've come from in providing this training and support to church leaders with Equipped for Grace to say, hey, this is some of the really great stuff that you guys have been doing. This is some of the stuff which has been letting us down. So we just need to focus on supporting people in this way and bringing no shame and no guilt and, and really shining a light on what you know, a really amazing, healthy relationship and marriage should look like. Well, thank you for being open and honest and sharing a bit of your story. And uh, I know that that's one of the reasons why they say that your tests can become your testimony or your mess can become yes. your message, you know. <laughs> that, that's a little bit of what's happened with you. You've been through it and you've been trained and equipped in it. And now you're, you're really wanting to get out there and train and equip churches in these areas because let's face it, 
a lot of churches have not been very helpful in giving advice to people when they're going through a tough time. Just speak into that for us, you know, like say, for example, there are people listening now and they know there's people in their church going through a tough time. What's one of the best ways you can communicate to someone? You know, a, a lot of us Christians say things like, just pray about it, you'll be fine. <laughs> we, we really need to be careful what we say, don't we? Yeah, we absolutely do because there are some things that we say and that we do which actually could put people in further harm. And that's the last thing that, you know, every single person that is providing that help and support would ever want to do. But there are some things that they can learn and to know about. So even just having a quick Google search or looking up on the internet, um, some really practical ways to support someone who's going through a difficult time, um, you know, such as domestic violence or if someone's suicidal or, you know, engaging in self-harm behaviours, there's some really practical things that we can be looking for. And so identifying that something's going on, engaging with them and really encouraging them to go and get that professional support us within the church, we may not have degrees in counselling or psychology or, or be a doctor or even some of the amazing domestic violence service providers at the moment are providing some really practical support such as changing the locks and food hampers and women's refuges, all of those sorts of things. So whilst we might not have the capacity to provide that professional service, we can be the experts in prayer. We can be that friend who says, you know what, I'm going to go along with you when you report this to the police or I will, I'll take you to the doctor and I'll sit outside and I'll wait for you and, you know, I'll check in with you all of the time or, you know, however often that you personally can can do that sort of thing. And then make sure that they're going to those service providers, they're getting that professional support and help that they really, really need. And then one of the other key things that's really important when we're going through this process with someone is to make sure that you yourself are taking care of you. <laughs> you know, always making sure that you wear your air mask first on the airplane and putting your life jacket on, you know, you want to actually be a blessing to others. And so in doing that, you've got to take care of you and making sure that you're okay. Yeah, that's so good. And I do remember at that seminar that you ran with our church, a whole bunch of our leaders had questions. How do we do this? How do we do that? And really, <laughs> and really it comes down to we've got to make sure we're referring people to the right experts in the right field and supporting them, you know, because sometimes in the church we, we think we've got all the answers and we can fix everything, but we're not equipped <laughs> for those things. We, you know, we, we've got to make sure we refer to the experts and we do have to make sure we're praying and we're speaking the word and we're encouraging people spiritually. So it's both and not either or. So I, I love That's exactly the, right. <laughs> I love the fact that you've really uh, equipped us in that area. And I know that you're keen to travel and speak at churches uh, on, on these topics. Yes. So uh, if people want to find out more, the website is equippedforgrace.com.au. That's equippedforgrace.com.au. They can also search you up on Facebook and uh, find out more. It's so good to hear uh, a little bit of your story today. I know there's a lot more to it, but it's we, our time is up. Uh, so if people want to find out more, once again, search up Equipped for Grace. And uh, Alicia Rita white it's been so good to have you as our guest on History Makers today. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Matt. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater and my challenge to you now is to go and make history. 
This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League. They're celebrating all that God's done in their ministry and they're praying into all that He's going to do in the next 50 years. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. If you'd like to support the Bible League as they reach the generations to come, go to BibleLeague.com.au. Station sponsor.